When was the last time you saw a miracle? Some of you can probably remember quite readily, while others of you are scratching your head and thinking, I don't remember seeing a miracle, or if I did, it was a long, long time ago. We think specifically of miracles so often as happening in Jesus' day, but not in today's world. And so we find miracles to be a bit confusing. Plainly and simply put, miracles just don't fit the norm of everyday human experience. They are something out of the ordinary. In fact, more often than not, they are something so long ago that it's hard to relate to in our own world. So it was that John Killinger could say in his book, Bread for the Journey and Wine for the Wilderness, the world is full of miracles that most of us just never see. We have not trained ourselves to look. We are like processionary caterpillars, those insects, which, if led into the lip of a fruit jar, will join ranks head to tail and proceed around the jar until they fall starving and exhausted to the ground. Blindly, we make our way from the cradle to the grave. It is when we see the world for what it is, a miracle in itself, a miracle filled with miracles, that faith comes into its own. How true it is that much of our time is spent looking only at what's right in front of our noses. Our society and perhaps our lives are geared for a lot of surface-level living. Charlie Brown and Linus are looking at a book. And Linus comes up and says, What is that? Let me see that. She looks and she says, Phooey! I wouldn't read that for a million bucks. Forget it, no way, and she walks off. And Linus says to Charlie Brown, Lucy has no trouble judging a book by its cover. <laughs> but you know, there are many people who try to judge life by its cover. And there are many reasons for superficial living. Perhaps for some it's just an escape to get away from what's really going on in their lives. A marriage that's falling apart. A relationship that needs work. A problem that is unresolved. Or God prompting, prompting new growth precisely when we don't want it. Surface living is prevalent around us where appearances and surface impressions are so important, and it's just easy to go along with the flow. Certainly our lives can't be heavy all the time, and we do need lighter moments. I'm not therefore suggesting that all surface realities are bad. I would submit, however, that to live exclusively on the surface is dangerous and blind living. There are still some ice flows and icebergs around Greenland. And, and it's interesting, this phenomenon, that the ice flows can be moving in one direction 
and the icebergs be moving in a different direction. It's because the ice flows are moving with the, the, surface, the surface currents and the winds. Whereas the icebergs, which are nine-tenths below the surface, are moving with the deeper currents. In our day, many people are moved by the surface currents and their moods and direction change with the sweeping winds. While many people who live with a sense of confidence and faith in Jesus Christ are moved by a deeper current and may find themselves moving in the opposite direction. Now, let's turn to our gospel for this morning and take a look at this encounter of Jesus and the centurion. Then as Jesus was coming into Capernaum, a centurion approached him and said, Sir, my servant is in bed at home, paralyzed and in dreadful pain. I'll come and heal him, said Jesus. I'll come. I'll come right now and heal him. Sir, said the centurion, I'm not important enough. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. Just, just give the order, please, and my servant will recover. I'm a man under authority myself. And I have soldiers under me. I can say to one, go, and he'll go, and to another, come, and he'll come. And I can say to my slave, do this, and that slave will always do it. Now, a centurion, which literally means 100, was an officer in the Roman army. And this centurion, in particular, was unusual to say the least. He came to Jesus terribly concerned about his servant. The ultimate authority he worked under, Caesar, once apologized. Caesar apologized for feeling pity for a slave. This was a caring man whose heart went out in trust to Jesus. The centurion reaching out was a far cry from the privileged Roman pride of his time. He was not only polite, he seemed to respect the Hebrew notion that a Jew was not supposed to enter a Gentile house. And so it was that he said, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Before he had even spoken the words, Jesus had responded, I'm going to come, I'll come, I'll come and heal him. Clearly, there was, this was response from Jesus was just, it was impulsive and it was instant. Jesus had no sense of defilement with the prospect of entering a Gentile home. His major concern was to respond to human need. Well, surely the centurion must have resonated with Jesus at the deeper level, confident that his word alone would suffice. This man knew how to give and follow commands, and therefore he assumed that when a command was given, the result would follow. Clearly, clearly there was an openness in him that allowed him to get in touch with what Jesus was all about. Otherwise, why would he have sought him out in the first place? 
You see, there was a connection. There was a resonance that took place almost immediately between the two of them. There's a wonderful story of where uh, a man visiting a resort met another man, and he asked him if he'd like to go for a walk. And he said, no, I tried that once and didn't like it. Well, finding no one else around him, he approached the man again, and he asked him, he said, would you like to play some cards? And he said, no, I tried that once and didn't like it either. Well, would you like to play a game of billiards then? No, tried it once and didn't like it, but my son is coming, and he'll join you. And the man said, your only son, I presume. took a while. Um, The centurion in our text had moved beyond the surface realities of life. Opening, you see, he opened himself to the deeper resonance that can come when one establishes a relationship with Christ. Interestingly enough, Jesus too resonated with the centurion. He saw what an unusual man he was. He had learned to cross the lines of class, nation, and creed. It shouldn't surprise us then that Jesus rejoiced in the centurion. For Jesus himself saw the limitations of the surface boundaries of class, nation, and creed. These two people, Jesus of Nazareth and a Roman centurion, were connecting at a deeper level than Jews and Gentiles were supposed to. Because of this inner resonance, this inner connection, The centurion trusted beyond what he could see. But what of us? What of our refusal to believe anything that our senses don't confirm? For to do so moves us beyond to the mysterious experience of faith. We don't know the millionth part of 1% about anything. We really don't know what water is. We don't know what life is. We don't know what gravitation is. We don't know what enables us to keep our feet when we stand. We don't know what electricity is. We don't know what heat is. We don't know anything about magnetism. We have a lot of hypotheses about these things, but that is all. We do not let our ignorance about them deprive us from their use. You know who wrote that? Somebody who was a pioneer in the use and discovery of many of those things. It was written by Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison wrote those words. You see, there are many mysteries about our faith that I just don't know about. And I doubt you do either. I certainly don't pretend to fully understand or know how on that first Easter morning God raised our Lord from the dead. This I do know. 
it has made a tremendous difference in my life to utilize and call on that faith. Trusting that which we resonate with and connect with in our deepest selves, that's what we call faith, even though we can't say all there is to say about it. But we know it's there. We know we have it. We know it's in our inner being, this sense of resonance, this sense of trust. You see, such resonance enables us to see and recognize more fully in the life of faith beyond what we see with our physical eyes. This is precisely what happened for the centurion. Being a person of some authority, he connected with Jesus and his authority, and he recognized him as Lord. It's doubtful that he meant anything else when he addressed him. Both times he used the word Kyrie, Lord. He recognized who Jesus was even before the miracle of healing. Jesus picks up on the centurion's recognition in the remaining portion of our passage, beginning at the 10th verse. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished. Believe me, he said to those who were following him, I have never found faith like this even in Israel. Then he said to the centurion, Go now, go to your home, and everything will happen as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed in that very hour. The emphasis here is not on the healing power of Jesus, though it is present. Rather, it's on how a Gentile came to recognize and believe in Jesus and he was praised for it. The centurion had said, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. What a leap of faith that statement is. It was the Swiss theologian, Emil Brunner, who put it well when he said, faith in Christ is not an interpretation of the word, but it is a participation in an event in something which has happened, is happening, and is going to happen. One of the most amazing events in our text is that Jesus also had a recognition. Jesus had a recognition. There are hints in the Gospels that Jesus' original mission was to come exclusively to the Jews. In chapter 15, 24, we hear Jesus say, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But through the exercise of faith, Gentiles such as the centurion and the Syrophoenician woman forced him to include them in his mission of restoration and fulfillment. And so being part of the kingdom is not so much a matter of being an heir of the covenant. It's a matter of faith, regardless of those things that divide us. Class, culture, race, religion. There was a resonance between Jesus and the centurion, which through faith led the centurion to know who Jesus was. He recognized him. And likewise, there was an awakening in Jesus 
of who this Gentile was. A faithful, faithful child of God. This centurion could have been anyone. Perhaps even you or me. For like most of us, he had more responsibility than some and less than others. And he was open, allowing the power of Christ into his life. P.T. Forsyth, that English pastor and theologian of a former generation, aptly said, In Christ, in Christ there is a spot where we are known far more than we know. There is a place where God not only speaks, but comes. And not only confirms, but gives. And gives not only himself to the soul, but by a vast crisis, the soul to itself and the world to his son. The reward of faith is in our story for this morning. The joyous, the joyous friendship The joyous friendship of Jesus was a deeper blessing right then and there. That was a richer blessing than the actual healing of the servant. You see, the body ultimately dies and all physical healings are temporary. Let me say that again. All physical healings are temporary, as in the case of the servant. The real miracle is the miracle of faith in the centurion and in us. The miracle of the presence of now, God's presence through Christ. This faith of of resonance and recognition presence accompanies us in the open-minded venture of life. Like the women on that first Easter morning. We too may see the open tomb, a powerful sign of hope. And yet, as Frederick Beekner wrote in the Faces of Jesus, quote, In the last analysis... What convinced the people that he had risen from the dead was not the absence of his corpse, but his living presence. His living presence. That's what did. John Maysfield, in the poem, The Everlasting Mercy, tells of the conversation of Saul Cain, the hardened, liquor-soddened man, and with With liberated soul, Cain looked out across the field and saw a plowman at the task of God. And instantly he recognized that God was plowing in his heart. Through rest harrow and bitter roots, through all my bad life's rotten fruits. And then he sees some seagulls soaring, soaring in the sky. And then in ecstasy he cries, O Christ who holds the open gate, O Christ who drives the furrow straight, 
O Christ the plow, O Christ the laughter, O holy white birds flying after. Come. Come, O Christ of resonance, deep resonance and recognition, recognition.